Hello, lovers. Welcome to You Gotta Love It, the show where you tell us and the rest of the world the things that you love that we might have missed, the show where you come to discover the best things you never knew existed, and the show where you can force us to sit through the worst entertainment you can find and say, well, you gotta love it. My name is Koji. I am a, I don't know, part-time Full Blast fan and full-time Monin fan. And with me, as always, is my good friend and speedwalker, Andrew Patterson. How's it so, going, Andrew? It's going all right. My legs do hurt a little bit. It was a long walk. How about that uh, last-minute secret Alexis on Fire Monin Full Blast joint? Incredible. Shout out to Daryl Graham. Yeah. That was quite the gift. Went to uh, it was the gift Koji's I kept giving. To, yeah, what Koji was referring to is the ten year anniversary of uh, we'll call them local local band. Yeah, yeah. It, some listeners may know, others may not. If you're at all into, I don't know, what, how would you describe it? Just like post hardcore punk, well, modern hardcore. It's interesting emo, because all of those genres blended into one. The next day, the he Kenny went on a long rant uh, positively about about emo. Fantastic! It's like yeah, call. Fuck, I wish I was there for it's that. Like, too. Yeah, call us emo, like whatever you know. And immediately following that rant, by the way, before you finish your story, uh, they do a song. They do no love. You know that song by the Get Up Kids? Maybe. Um, Not off the top of my head. Uh, I don't Oof. want you to love me anymore. No. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Anyway, they do that song with the Get Up Kids, and. Uh, Matt, so Matt, Pry- sorry, they don't do it with the Get Up Kids. Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids is there, and he they play the music while he sings. But he comes out and goes, "Fuck that, fucking emo is shit. Like, <laughs> fuck emo. It's a stupid term. All music is emotional. You guys are fucking stupid." He didn't say you guys are stupid, but he's just like, "It's a stupid term." After Kenny went on this like <laughs> five minute rant about like you can call us whatever you want. Yeah, I mean we're emo, sure. You know. Anyway, That's funny. Um. Yeah, Monin. Uh, yeah, band. so there's a there's a great uh, scene here in the greater Toronto area, or Golden Horseshoe, basically going all the way, well, let's not say all the way to Niagara, because I can't really think of any bands from Niagara right now, but certainly all the way out to St. Catharines and Hamilton. Right. Like, huge. Like, massive. The amount of, and not just like ba- like local bands, but the amount, you know, Alexis on Fire, like there's some big... Silverstein. Silverstein, some big big bands and it's you know it's a scene that's very near and dear to my heart and koji's as well yeah koji was like part of that scene really uh, yeah i guess yeah. So. well like yeah i guess yeah yeah sort of holding sky kind of weird <clears throat> yeah um yeah. anyway so there was this uh i mean we could go on about all the different bands but there's uh there's a 10-year anniversary for monin's album the red tree and it sold out immediately so they added another show and it sold out immediately and they ended up adding four shows and last uh, at the end of last year, Daryl and Koji got tickets, and and our friend Daryl got us or got me a ticket as well. Anyway, long story short, they had a different surprise special guest each night, and the opener was it for the, did they the full blast open all four nights? No, except for the last night um, because it was an acoustic act. Oh. Uh, Matt Pryor opened the last night, but so the first night it was the Flatliners. Oh fuck! The, oh, I didn't no. Then the second night was Dead amazing. Tired. That's why they didn't have the Flatliners two-song EP, like that new... Anyway, go on. 
Yeah, so it was Flatliners, then Dead Tired, then the show that Fucking we went Alexis to. Alexis on Fire. Yeah. So it was basically, I have not been able to stop thinking about this incredible show that we experienced. I love the Full Blast. I love Monine. And I thought I was just going to get to see Full Blast with Monine. I didn't even know there was a surprise. I hadn't talked to anybody that had gone to any of the shows, though. So I didn't even know they were doing that each night. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, minutes after the full blast finished, I'm like, ah, well, I'm not going to because I like Monine, but I'm like satisfied, you know, like that was great. Right. Yeah. People start whispering about like Alexis on fire. And I was like, now you guys are full of shit. Like, get real. We're at Lee's Palace. This venue's way too small for Alexis on fire. (laughs) And sure enough, Alexis on fire came out and melted our faces off. It was a great night. And Monine played for like fucking like two hours. Yeah. It was like two full sets. It was incredible. So... Still riding high off of that. What are we going to talk about for real this episode, though? Is this the... Are we going to do... So this episode, we are looking at a comic book called Bedlam as the hidden gem. And the You Gotta Love It is a series of comics known as Marvel. Okay. Um, we'll get to Marvel in a second because I feel like that needs a bit of explanation. Yeah. But we'll start off with this comic known as Bedlam. Immediately when I read it, I thought of Frank Miller's, uh, what was that comic that we read that was like racist? Holy Terror. Holy Terror. I immediately (laughs) thought of Holy Terror because I I didn't look this up at all and I feel like I should have now, but it it almost felt to me as if it was supposed to be a Batman story Mm -hmm. and then got changed very much like Holy Terror. Right. Right. But done 100% correctly. And I mean, if it's not a Batman story, which it easily, I mean, it apes on it in the same way that Invincible apes on Superman. Sure. Right. So I thought it was like the, the idea was fantastic. Essentially, there is a homicidal maniac, you know, the Joker, a Joker-esque character who in the past has gone around killing throngs of people. Literally thousands of people. Yeah. Um, this is like beyond the, the serial killer. It's like yeah. a mass. He's a mass. Well, murder. so the comic opens with him having murdered an entire um, lecture hall's worth of people. And it ends with the first act ends with him essentially dying or so they believe. But it turns out that he's survived uh, this death and has been squirreled away by this mad scientist who has tinkered with his brain such that he can no longer harm people. And not only that, it's not like one of those stories where he wants to kill somebody and his body won't let him. He's not interested in in killing people any longer. And he's kind of now interested in helping people. And so they let him out and he finds this detective who is in the middle of a brutal um, serial killer murder, uh, I don't know, whatever, case. Yeah. And he endeavors to help her. At first, they think he's a serial killer because he has so much insight in it. They're like, oh, you must be the killer. And then it comes to like... Also, the way that he like approaches it. First, he calls them and it's like a super weird yeah. call. And then he just shows up and turns himself in. But then after he turns himself in, he's like, ah, just kidding. I didn't actually do any of this. I just wanted to get close to you. So yeah, he's I like, I recant. <laughs> I recant all of that. I just wanted to help you. <laughs> and so they they're all so sure that he's you know, he's the killer. Um, but he ends up helping them. And there were two trades. It was an image comic. And so the second trade is kind of, um, is there only two? Yeah. Or is it? On- oh, no, so. I think, I don't know what happened. If it, 
if it's like one of those that's on hiatus or what have you. Because I only read the first for the purposes of this show. Yeah. And the time that I had. But yeah, it was weird. So I liked it. It kind of, I mean, initially, I'll say this when I started reading it. Yeah. It had the feeling of like, not on this level, uh, but like it reminded me of Crimson in that it was very gratuitous. And my first impression was that it was just gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous, you know? Yeah. Like, I also felt that the art style and like the style of drawing for the severity of what was happening. Right. It just, there was something about it that didn't really ring it rang kind of hollow initially when I was like first reading it. I was like, this just seems like it was somebody that wanted to do like a hyper violent, like high shock value comic. But obviously I gave it a chance and I do think that there is actually something much more sophisticated, you know, underneath it. And I did end up really enjoying it, but, uh, there's, yeah, I don't know. There was some weird stuff. Like I didn't, it felt almost as if there was not enough explained, which maybe that happened in the second trade, but I really had to read the whole thing before I really. What, what were, what were some of the loose ends for you? Or what did you want more explanation on? Like who the scientist is, what who his the scientist is? is. I didn't understand his like death, like the explosion, you know, where there was just a head in the room, like afterwards. And then like, oh, you're dead, but you're not actually dead. Like, we saved you. Like, I guess I was... It's really hard to explain. I'm, I should have, like, figured out how I wanted to articulate this, but I sure. guess it just seemed like um, I, I was waiting for an explanation for something that will never be explained that you seem to very quickly have just, like... The way that you summed it up, I was like, it took me the whole comic to really figure out that that's what it was about. Oh, oh I interesting. Thought, I thought that there was going to be links between... You know, this mad scientist is evil. He's actually connected to this, you know, and they kept introducing new, like when they introduced the priest and like this guy, the whole horse thing with that, like they kept introducing new things. And much like the cops in the comic, I thought that everything was going to be way more tied together Mm -hmm. when it seems that at its heart, it was just like this guy used to be a serial killer. Yeah. Now he's just helping the cops find a new serial killer. And it's like that simple, basically. I kept being like, whoa, what is all this crazy shit that's happening on the periphery? But- well, I, I, to me, it was, it's kind of like, uh, what, what's that TV show? The Blacklist, mm. but like done in comic book form and, and a little bit more interesting, in my opinion. But uh, I do think that there was a plan for an overarching storyline where you kind of understand where what the scientist is getting at, why this all happened, you come to find out pretty quickly that um, in the next trade that the uh, senator, the blonde-haired senator, is the the first, the guy oh, with the mask. Yeah, that was the other thing was that that took such a backseat to so, literally everything else that was happening. So in that's the like a Batman-esque trade. character. I think the idea is just like it's setting the tone for this world where these people exist and... It, it kind of felt like eventually this guy was going to build a life and then it was going to all come crashing down on him when they find out who he really is. Yeah, that's what I expected the second volume would be about when I finished the first volume. The second volume is is not exactly about that, but it like it, it felt to me as if there was like maybe five or six volumes 
right to that, this that would have initially yeah to this whole thing and it just stopped at, yeah i think it like started in 20 uh i want to say 2012 and ended in 2014 yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff going on though and like i like the art i liked how when he was crazy the so his speech white, bubbles right? were red oh yeah and when he was you know talking calmly it was so why why did the mad scientist have the woman with the crazy burn stitched up face and then like the like what's going on with the nurses there? Well, did I they think, explain any of that at all? Like, no. Who is that guy? But I get the impression that they were his t- test subjects. You know, like he he's just messing with people because that's what he enjoys doing. But there's also a higher power involved. Yeah, like, like who's he's he working in- for somebody else. Yeah, but you don't find out in the second volume. Uh, no, it's more of like a. They allude to it more, so you're like, oh, I see, like, there's a grander scheme here. Fuck, I wish that... But it's not... I hope that they keep doing it somehow, because I will read the second volume, yeah. for sure. Resurrect it like Nowhere Men, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, but Nowhere Men also seems to have hit another hiatus, because they released enough to do a second... There hasn't been a new one forever? Yeah, they released enough to do a second volume, and it, the second volume isn't out yet, to my knowledge, and it just kind of slowed down. Ugh, comics, it's such a... We got to hit up the beguiling again soon. Oh, yeah. I God, I'm in the yeah, same boat. I don't. Son of a bitch. I don't really. I mean, I have a bag full of them over there that I can read, so it's not a big deal. But anyway, I really enjoyed this. This was um, a suggestion by my buddy Mikey. Mm-hmm. Mikey Hill, shout out, M Hill, bandmate. Um, Did you happen to do any? Because uh, I don't recall who who created this comic. I don't know off the top of my head. I tried to do some research on it, but it's hard to find like most comics have a wiki page or something. Mm-hmm. This didn't really have a wiki page. Mm. Uh, I know that it was published by image, uh, but that's about all I know about it. So maybe you can look it up while I continue on. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Whoa. Hmm. Just, is the internet oh, failing you right now? No. I just... Um, I love the cover art. The cover art is sick. Nick Spencer? Yeah. Ryan Brown, Fraser Irving. Yeah. Fraser, Fraser, Fraser Irving did the covers, which the covers are fucking sick. They definitely remind me of like an incognito or fatal um, type of thing. Like a, a very, I don't know, noir-ish. Well, the entire comic is black, white, and red, right? No, there's color parts. Oh, right. So it's just, it's the past. Like very drab black, colors, yeah. Black, white, just and red. Just past. Yeah. Uh, and the character's name is Matter Red. That's kind of where the red part comes in. I mean, I don't really understand the name, but... Anyway, I would say pick it up and read it, but it's kind of one of those bittersweet type things. It's like watching... Um, what was that HBO Western? Not it's- Westworld. Um... Oh, God damn it. This is going to kill me now. An HBO Western? Yeah. What are you talking about? You don't know about the show? Uh, with Timothy Oliphant. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Deadwood. Deadwood. Yeah. It's like watching Deadwood because it was such a fucking good show, but it just ends. It's like there's no ending to it. It's just like, ah, sorry. This is the most expensive show on television. We can't afford to make it anymore. That ba- Can I just tell you that basically every show, all of my favorite shows are that they all get canceled or they don't have enough money Mm -hmm. all of them or something weird happens like there's a hunger strike you know yeah yeah. like 
some of them get brought back, but most of them don't. Right. Freaks and Geeks, Undeclared, Firefly, Clone High. So all I'm saying is read this comic. It's cool, but you know, can, know that you're... You will not leave satisfied. <laughs> uh, a comic book that we had to love, on the other hand, speaking of satisfaction or lack thereof, is called Marvel, M-A-R-V-I-L-L-E. Uh, I don't even know how to describe this. So it starts off. Uh, it, it so it's actually created by Marvel, and it and it and it it was like one guy's insane project, <laughs> and it and it starts off as like a uh, a satire of sorts, or like in the same way that like Naked Gun is a satire or something. Uh, or Hot Shots is a satire. Like it, 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 it's <laughs> right. Uh, it starts off <laughs> with a a guy who puts on an Atlanta Braves hat during a meteor shower and says we should, in a racist manner, tomahawk chop the. This is the owner. This is the fucking what's his Ted name? Ted Turner. Ted Turner, owner of uh, Ted Turner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We should tomahawk chop these these falling uh, meteors, and then it kind of then goes on to play up the uh, uh, their version of a Superman story where the that world is being destroyed, where they think the world is being destroyed, so they need to send their alien son to Earth. Except they realize, wait, this is Earth. We just called it AOLville or something because <laughs> the entire planet has since been bought and taken over. AOL on, yeah. By AOL. Now, this was probably at the height. <laughs> that was the one funny thing that just didn't stand the. T- yeah. Any kid that picked up that comic today would be like, "What the fuck? Why? What is this weird obsession with this company?" Like, I, I'm assuming this is like the AOL Time Warner days when they all amalgamated into this one giant company, and, and then it goes on to have this kid who thinks that he's Superman, except he doesn't have super speed or super strength or anything, but he really has an urge to fight crime. And it, it talks about a myriad of subjects from creationism to superhero origin stories to it's like socioeconomics. Yeah. Fucking... You know what? So it's very hard to explain because it's, it's very tongue in cheek and very silly. But the one thing that I, I did like about it and I really liked about it was that like, it actually tries to tackle serious subjects in what is a somewhat satiric, satirical manner. Like, yeah, it's not just done haphazardly. Like, clearly there was a point. Well, yeah, especially when you get to the end, you're like, oh, okay. But let's start from the beginning. Tell me what. Tell me what you thought. It's very. Um, I didn't hate it. It felt. I didn't hate it. Around four issue four and five, I was just like fuck what is happening like oh it felt rushed to me yeah in that and not rushed in the sense where like oh we got to rush to put this out in that the text the the layout of it the light yeah but (laughs) even even (laughs) even aside from that it just felt like almost stream of consciousness like yeah you know like he started being like okay i'm gonna do satire of it's gonna be like deadpool it's going to be like sat like characters in a comic making fun of comics with a couple tongue in cheek, you know, little kind of Easter eggs for fans of comics or longtime readers that will kind of pick up on what I'm kind of poking fun at. Yeah. 
But then as it kind of devolves, I would say, it just doesn't feel like that was the initial, like two, like two or three of the issues are literally just that journey through time. But, but, but I will say this because I made a bunch of notes here. Okay. Okay. Even in the bad episode issues, and there are some issues that like, the, okay, I will say that it's not a good comic. Okay. It, it is, there are points where I had no idea what the fuck was going on because the story just like is so all over the place. You know, and there's like scantily clad women, but like left, right, and center. Yeah. But okay, here here's some of the things. Here's some of the takeaways. So in the beginning, there's a lot of poking fun at superhero origin stories when he's trying to figure out his origin, mm-hmm. and it talks a lot about how, like, in earnest, ridiculous, most origin stories are. Yeah. And I mean, it especially talks about DC origin stories because, like, I guess they were trying to start some sort of beef. But. But Watchmen, which came out in the eighties, yeah, fucking already did this way, way better, pointing sure. out how how comical the whole thing was. Sure, sure. But then it goes on to um, to talk about rich and and poor. Yeah, right. Where, and it, it so it uses the example of a Batman esque character, very much looks like Batman, but isn't Batman? Has that third um, ear Finn. or whatever? Yeah, Finn and. Um, <laughs> And and Tony Stark, and Iron Man, yeah, and talking about and how Black Panther as well, right? And talking about how they don't really care about poor people because they're poor, and and these guys are rich, and like it kind of brings that up. Like it's not coherent, is the problem? Totally, but yeah, like it, I, it, he's not wrong about the. Co- I was just saying, it's funny that there seems to be this all this targeting DC and like look how ridiculous superheroes are, and it's like yeah, right, yeah, but. <laughs> But then, okay, even in the journey through time, right, there, there are some, some golden nuggets. So they, they go back in time to prehistoric era. They want to meet dinosaurs. Uh, first, well, sorry. First, they go back in time and meet God, who they, someone they think is God or the creator or whatever, but like may or may not be. Probably is, though. And they, <laughs> they have a whole philosophical debate about religion and the beginning of life and all that stuff. And it kind of lost me there. I was like, this is... Because that comic was all just text. And it was like, like zero to 100 too. With like nonsense pictures. Yeah. But the next one, okay, where they go forward in time to the prehistoric era and they meet this dinosaur who's hyper-intelligent. Um, his name's like Snork, Snorky or, or something. Yeah, something like that. And, and all of his dinosaur pals want to kill them. And they talk about how, um, you know, your family so we won't kill you. And they're like, whoa, you just, you don't, kill your family but you'll kill anything else and he's just like yeah you guys do that too and he's just like no i don't kill other humans right but it they talk about how dinosaurs like species of dinosaurs don't kill each other but humans actually end up killing one another yeah right so like i thought there was a bit of a point there i'm not explaining it very well but the idea is that like uh we have to kind of view ourselves as one entity together right as opposed to like warring within our own. Yeah, which is then kind of reemphasized with the whole Neanderthal, early man, Wolverine bit. Well, but okay, so but then it goes even further there because it talks about how when you when you put people in positions of power, they can kind of abuse that power. And it's interesting, again, because they have a king and a shaman. And King says, 
you know, I am the king because, you know, God says so. And I know God says so because the shaman tells speaks, me God says to God, so. Yeah. And then the shaman says, well, I'm the spiritual leader because your king decrees it. Right. And so it kind of plays off this whole thing. Like these people are in power feeding off one another. Like they're, they're only yeah. just like bolstering themselves. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. It, look, it's, I think the you said it best when you said that is there's interesting stuff, but the problem is it isn't coherent. Because when I when I was saying that it felt rushed, it felt rushed in that it literally felt like he was writing into the speech bubble. Like there's yeah, like there, there's lack no of, edits. There's like there's yeah, like yeah. lack of periods at some points. There's like run on sentences and also parts where like the dialogue doesn't even seem to match up. Like the characters are talking about different things because. He was just like, okay, I've got this like one thing happening here, but oh yeah, I forgot about this like other person. There was this joke I wanted to put, you know, and just like, there's no, nobody revisited it or he just like vetoed anybody being like, well, maybe we should, you know, do this or this. Right. And it was just like, it turned into this sort of, especially through that, because it was so text heavy. Yeah. After the weird issue with the just words that were just over the panels when they were in prehistoric times of the dinosaurs, there was so much. It was like if somebody wrote out an episode of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> literally, yeah. like wrote out every single word and then still tried to fit weird digitally painted artwork in or around all of that stuff. Right. And just like also at every possible opportunity made women take off their clothes and like put in weird super juvenile <laughs> jokes, like yeah. sexual jokes that like the guy's talking about. Anyway... It's just like, but there's a lot of reasons it didn't work. And at the, I was just at like, the end of fuck. it, right? Yeah. He, he goes on this, like, remember when he's just like, I am God. So what? fuck you. Like at the yeah. end, they're just like, wait, what? So there's a seventh issue of this comic. So there's, it's six actual issues. And then there's a seventh comic. That's not a comic. Yeah. And I'll explain that in a second. Cause at the end of the sixth comic, he says, okay, well, you know, here, here's the situation. Marvel and DC, have a stable of artists, small stable at this point anyway, small stable of artists that they use for pretty much everything. And then every once in a while, they'll give other guys a chance. But like, you're probably not going to be one of those other guys. You, so you're basically fucked. Then you can go to, you know, Image and they'll publish whatever you want, but it's going to cost a lot of money because you, you as an artist have to pay for all these other fees that you wouldn't if you worked for another comic company. Right. Then you can go to all these other independent independent publishers that you might not have those costs involved, but you're also not going to have the reach to get at these people. So, um, I'm going to start, uh, you know, like a spinoff of Marvel that does independent comics, right? That's what he says yeah. at the end of it. And he's basically like, look how fucked up this comic is. I made it because I wanted to. Now it's your chance to make what you want to. Yeah. The seventh issue is all about how you can get involved with this. And right. the seventh issue is literally that's, I don't know if you read it, but it, yeah, it's, it's like a, almost like a catalog. Yeah. Sort of. It's literally just all about like how to become a part of this, you know, independent Marvel movement, Marvel edge, which obviously didn't take off. Right. But I understand like he, ba maybe he, it was pure stream of consciousness, but I think part of the point was like, this comic was so bananas and it was still published by Marvel. Yeah. So, you know, your, your bananas idea might be worthwhile. Yeah. That's definitely. what I got from I mean, it. Anyway. That's, that makes sense. But I think that, and 
You think I'm just looking at, I'm just rationalizing it or something? Or do you think that? No, I do legitimately think that makes sense. But I also think that, like, that wasn't my first thought when I read it. I don't think anybody just picking up this comic would fucking have a clue that that was the, oh, without knowing the surrounding, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't come to to that conclusion until I read the last sure issue but it's just sort of like if you can make it that far yeah like yeah. people and then like the covers too all those like greg horn covers that were just like a basically a naked woman almost naked and on every cover yeah the one of the best parts of the whole thing it just was so bizarre <laughs> and she wasn't even a character in the story no but the characters in the story also take off their clothes at every turn or like dress up like whores at one point prostitutes so, i guess i don't know it's so strange uh, it was very weird i also did like one of the things that i f- i forgot to mention was every time they solved a crime they would just get a million dollars they would just give them a hundred million dollars yeah, yeah piles of money which i think was a comment on like how most comics don't make sense there's like all these superheroes fighting crimes but like they otherwise would need means to survive which yeah. they don't have Right. I mean, some of them do. Like Matt Murdock, obviously, is a who shows yeah. up in in these comics. By yeah. the way, is a lawyer and like. Uh, and y- it's funny because I maybe even this whole Marvel Marvel Edge thing mm-hmm. got some people thinking because there is today's climate in comic books, even like the major major uh, houses like Marvel and DC. Probably more Marvel. I don't read a lot of DC, so I don't know how often they do this type of stuff. But right. like Hawkeye, for example. Oh where, yeah, what a good like, comic. Hawkeye, there's like a Hawkeye series from uh, started a couple years ago, I guess, where it's basically Clint Barton off duty as an Avenger and like he he's unlike all of the other like he does he's not rich. Yeah. He doesn't make a lot of money being an Avenger. Well, he makes enough to buy an apartment building though. Sure. Well, over his entire tenure as an Avenger. Yeah, but yeah. like he lives in that shitty slummy building in the first place. Yes. And he's just kind of like you know, it's kind of about his like off duty life, but then there's like this slum lord that's like treating people poorly in this apartment building. So he bought, as Koji said, buys the building and it's about sort of his life as like a landlord. Yeah. <laughs> but is he's still also actively an Avenger, but it's like there's more stuff like that or the She Hulk comic, which was more about her practicing law, you know, like she's right. like a lawyer that would take these cases that were, um, and there's a lot of stuff that's more tongue in cheek and kind of it like yeah. acknowledges the ridiculous, you know, the craziness and wackiness of superhero comics. But I think like Deadpool aside, yeah, this was probably way before any other comic like that. I think for the most part, as far as Marvel's concerned, like there wasn't too many uh, fourth wall breaking, not even just fourth wall breaking, but like grounded. Oh, grounded in reality is not right either because there's no way that Hawkeye comic is not grounded in reality. But like, well, it's like self. Fucking. It 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 doesn't seem like satirical like a strategy that you would. Yeah, you know, like yeah. the head of your company making fun of your industry, and yeah. like telling people why it's dumb. You know, right? Knowing there's a certain type of person that would read that and it's probably not going to turn them off comics, but like, you know, taking that risk, I right. feel like is, I wonder is like if bold. it's a bold move. The covers were scantily clad women and it involves scantily clad women to try and draw people into reading the comics. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I know one, at least one guy who would know, but I don't know how to get in touch with him. <laughs> the guy who wrote it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. So I mean, is 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 pretty interesting. There's okay, some so weird shit in it though. We went on a, on a little mini sort of aside there, but what is fart your, jokes as well? There's fart jokes in it. What is your favorite sort of? I don't know, fourth wall breaking or like tongue in cheek comic, would you say? Probably Tank Girl still, because Tank Girl does a lot of stuff like that. Um, it's definitely a good one. I know that we've talked about Tank Girl. We did an episode with the Tank Girl movie. We've talked about Tank Girl pretty frequently, but that's kind of the first one that comes to mind because that was probably one of the earliest comics I read that had like a. I was used to reading very traditional superhero, you know, right. time moves in a linear fashion. Even if there's time travel, you know, like the story progresses at like a, and Tank Girl was just kind of like, I bought like a trade of Tank Girl, like Tank Girl, I bought Tank Girl one. And it was just like random stories that were all different lengths. Some were like two pages, some were eight, some were like, you know, 16. Sure. And lots of times the characters would acknowledge sort of like what was happening they would be there would be like sticky notes on the comic you know like there mm-hmm. was weird shit like that happening all the time and i it like blew my mind i was just like what this is fucking amazing cool. but yeah i my, don't i mean i don't have an answer my favorite you know it's funny everybody mentions deadpool especially because of the success of the, the recent movie but like my favorite deadpool story yeah is actually like the most grounded well, I, the most grounded Deadpool story I've read. I've been reading X Men comics and Marvel for a long time. Like Deadpool's X-Force kind of always, or something. Yeah, where Rick Remender <clears throat> took Deadpool, it still felt like the same character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he would still, I wouldn't say so much he'd break the fourth wall, but he definitely like his the gravity of situation. You know, like he just handles everything very differently. He's almost flippant, but it also is like a very dark storyline and it like it made Deadpool face something that he wasn't willing to do. And like kind of maybe thinking about how he's not a very good person, but like this is his opportunity to do. So, and it's kind of at odds with all of these other characters who are traditionally good characters. Yeah. And I like it, it's such a fucking amazing arc. So it's just kind of funny that the reason the the reason that everybody seems to love Deadpool so much, and it's such a like trendy character right now, especially given the movie is that he breaks that fourth wall but my favorite deadpool thing is the one where he's not really doing that right it's pretty weird it's cool though i wonder if the next movie will be will take more of a cable and deadpool spin because i know cables in it but like have you read any of those comics yeah not all of them though no me either but here and there yeah but it's like if you thought that the first deadpool movie like this is the Cable and Deadpool comics are like super meta, like super, I don't even know how to, to explain it, but like it's talk about being in a comic book at points anyway. Oh yeah. That's a crazy tangent you could go on. Cable is like a very interesting character in the Marvel universe. I think Mm -hmm. comics are so great. (laughs) They are so great. I love, I'm currently rereading uh, Brian Michael Bendis's run with Alex Maleve on Daredevil, Man Without Fear. It's, mm. it's really fucking good. And actually, Bedlam, the sort of darkness in Bedlam, yeah. and even the style, kind of reminded me of. I, I prefer, like, Brian Michael Bendis, one of my favorite authors, but comic book authors, but it's really great. I don't know if you've read it, but it's fucking. I haven't. 
sick. I'm, you know what I really want to reread actually, and I was tempted to buy the compendium until I found out there were two more of them. So I was like, okay, fuck this. But um, Rising Stars, you ever read that? J. Michael Straczynski. No. The same guy who did that uh, Midnight Nation that I lent you. Yeah. Uh, it's about kids who get power. Anyway, we're going we're going like way off reservation here. Yeah. That's what happens when you talk about comics, man. Oh, yeah. But my favorite comics are the ones that, I don't know necessarily break the fourth wall, but they're just like really, like Casanova's weird, odd timelines and like, you know, paradoxes and stuff. Obviously, the Max, which I just bought the collection of. So I'm I'm all about like... Yeah. All this I, like, I like humor, but I think like Brian Michael Bendis is a good example because he... I, for me personally, obviously everybody's that there's fucking, you go to a comic book store, there'd be people that would argue tooth and nail with mm-hmm. this, but for my money, he's the best at, and remember probably would be a close second where Marvel is concerned, but he just fucking gets how the character, the characters speak the way that I would expect them to be. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. way it's written, like, and not just like a few characters, like every fucking character. It doesn't matter how minor it is. Like, you read the first Civil War, and there's, like, fucking, like, 300 different Marvel characters. He just, like, he just gets it. So, yeah, uh, I, I, as much as I love the occasional kooky, crazy thing, like Tank Girl or something, uh, something of that nature, or Deadpool, I really like when somebody that understands that it's wacky and it's comic books and they're unrealistic, but also given those... Hey, did you know that he wrote Powers? Yeah. Given he's pretty, written so much stuff, good. man. Given those sort of boundaries, they take it seriously within that, much like you would, you know, we talk about anime or manga or people really like sort of dedicating themselves to crafting something no matter how goofy it may seem mm-hmm. to to outsiders or to people, you know. Anyway, it's really good. That's like probably my favorite type of comic to read. Sweet. Cool beans. We got recommendations. I, I, we do. We do. This week, um, we talked a lot about music at the top of the show. So I thought I would recommend a podcast, not this one, uh, about music. It is called The Sound and the Story. I strongly, strongly suggest that if you like this, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, emo, post-hardcore, um, genre of music That's my own. <laughs> uh, Andrew's just showing me that his only note for Marvel was incoherent rambling uh, but if you like this kind of music uh, it's very cool because the the host spends a lot of time researching the history and circumstances around an album and then deconstructs the album lyrically but puts it in context with what was going on during the album's recording and the history and whatnot. So episode one is Pinkerton. Then he's got the Hold Steady, Pinkerton by Weezer, by the way. And then he's got the Hold Steady's album. Uh, some highlights for me were Death Cab's trans- Transatlanticism, Brand New's God and the Devil Are Raging Inside Me, Say Anything is a Real Boy, Bonnie Vera's For Emma Forever Ago. Uh, there's only eight episodes right now, and he only releases about one a month. It's not on a tight schedule or anything, but if you listen to them, you'll understand why. Uh, he spends a lot of... It, it's clear to me that there's a lot of effort put into understanding what's going on, and he really thinks about the lyrics of of each song. 
So, yeah, I would check it out if, if that's of interest to you. And what do you got on tap for us, Andrew? Um, a band called um, The Super Weeks. Super, yeah. That's that's the one. Okay. I had a I had a hard time finding the... Uh, I wanted to make sure that I got that right. No, I actually really only just started listening to this band recently. We were talking to them a little bit before we recorded, but mm-hmm. Modern Baseball, a band uh, that both Koji and I love, are touring with a couple of bands. And uh, I was like, oh, I haven't heard of these bands before, so I'm going to check them out. And the Super Weeks, it's, it's an example of like a band that sounds identical to a lot of other bands that I like, but that's not like, it's a good thing for me. Like, it's not like, you know what I mean? Like it sounds just like mean almost, but like it's in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I like listen to it and it's weird because it's really hit or miss. Sometimes it sounds derivative. Other times I'm just like, Oh yeah. And this was just one of those occasions where I was like, Oh yeah, these guys are fucking great. So, um, I don't since it's so recent, and I only just started listening to it. I don't even have an album to recommend. Okay. Out, the the album I've been listening to repeatedly has got like a funny drawing on the front. We'll get that information for you and make sure that that's you know we'll, we'll link them so that you uh, you can actually check them out yourself. But I don't know, man. Just well, super weeks. Speaking of good music, next week's episode is. Based on recommendations by one of my more recent favorite bands and one of your favorite bands too, I believe. Organically grown butter lettuce. Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the band Pup from oh, yeah. Toronto, Ontario. Uh, I had a chance to sit down and chat with them on another show that I do, ISO The Buns Podcast. They're a really good band. That episode will be coming out eventually, maybe even before this one. So you want, might want to go check it out if you like Pup. But at the tail end of that episode, um, or actually after we started stopped rolling for the Buns podcast, I asked them for some recommendations for this show. And it just so happened that I didn't stop rolling. So the beginning of the next episode will be you hearing their recommendations and then us talking about said recommendations. But we are looking at... D- Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's funny. I was just talking about Modern Baseball because the last time I saw Pup, they played with Modern Baseball. It was a fucking great show. That was Jeff the, Rosenstock. That wasn't the last time I saw them. I know. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Shut up about it. So we're looking at, for the You Gotta Love It, Bruno Mars's 24 karat gold. What? 24 karat. What is it? 24 karat something. No, it's 24 karat gold. I'm pretty sure. All right. Uh <laughs> And or twenty four K gold, I guess. Yeah, but anyway. And for the twenty four karat magic, is that the oh. song? I don't fucking. Know. Maybe it is magic. Whatever. Bruno Mars's most recent album. Yeah, he only has three. Uh, and you get to hear what Pup has to say about that during this interview. <laughs> but uh, the the hidden gem for next week is a granddaddy side project. I'll put that in quotes. There's a band called Granddaddy, and their side project, air quotes, is something called Arm of Roger. Uh, I almost want to talk about it now, but I won't. So join us next week for those things. Uh, Keep on loving it.
dreaming 